0: Book of Mark, chapter number 5, we're going to begin reading in verse number 1. It's a familiar text. Most of us who've been in church, uh, we're very familiar with this text, uh, whether it's been read in Mark or it's been read in Luke or been read in Matthew. And so we're going to begin reading in verse number 1. The Bible says, And they came over into the other side of the sea, unto the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains. Because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. Pretty bad situation uh, already being described here, the Bible gives us. It says, but verse number six, but when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshiped him and cried with a loud voice and said, what have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the most high God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, what is thy name? And he answered saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country Now there was there nigh to the mountains, a great herd of swine feeding and all the devils besought him saying, send us into the swine that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine and the herd ran violently down a steep uh, place into the sea. They were about 2000 and were choked in the sea. And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country and they went out to see what it was that was done. And they came to Jesus, So they, and they came, come to Jesus, and see him that was possessed with the devil, and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil, and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coast. And when he was coming to the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him, that he might be with him. Howbeit, Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home. Go home to what? Go home to thy friends, and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee, and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him, and all men did marvel. Father, we thank You again for the opportunity we have to be in Your house. Lord, one more time, because the Word of God has been read and we get to the preaching hour, Lord, we just ask and pray that You would speak to our hearts. Lord, I, I, I'm thankful tonight for this text and, Lord, the lessons over the years that I've gleaned from it. And I pray tonight, Lord, that it would just be all about You. Lord, I don't, I don't want to get in the way uh, ever, and I definitely don't want to get in the way tonight, Lord, as the Word of God's proclaim. proclaimed. So Lord, I, I just ask and pray that you'd guide my mouth, that you'd guide my thoughts, guide my heart, Lord, as, as the message is delivered tonight, Lord, that the application um, not only makes sense, but Lord, that it would challenge us as it's challenged me. Lord, help us tonight to block out all the things that might keep our focus from you and just dwell on what you'd have for us this evening. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> the text that we just read in, in Mark chapter number 5 is very, very similar to text you'll read, parallel passages in the book of Matthew and in the book of Luke, but I like specifically the text of the story of what many of us know as the maniac of Gadara out of the book of Mark, and specifically we'll pull out and we'll highlight a few things here tonight, but this text sits right in the middle of, very, of several hopeless situations that we find within Jesus' ministry. And just prior to Mark chapter number 5, if you go back to Mark chapter number 4, you read the story there where Jesus tells His disciples in verse number 35 of Mark chapter 4, He says, that the same day when the evening was come, He saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side." So before we get to Mark chapter number 5, we know this, that Jesus and the disciples are on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And as they cross from one side of the sea to the next side, The Bible tells us this, that in verse number 37, there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. So as Jesus and the disciples are passing basically from just one simple side of the Sea of Galilee to the other side, that there arose a storm, and in the middle of that storm, the storm became so violent, uh, so fierce... The Bible tells us this, that the disciples were afraid that they were going to die. Look at at verse number 38. The Bible says, And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and saying to him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? See, Jesus is in this part, part of his ministry where he begins to minister to individual people. And his disciples still quite haven't gotten the fact that they're with God's Son. Amen? They haven't quite come to the realization that no matter where they go, if they're with Jesus, they're good. I mean, they, they ha- they're stressed out about the storm. They're stressed out about the multitudes. They're stressed out about a lot of things. Kind of sounds similar to you and I, right? Uh, but at the end of the day, they're with Jesus Christ. I mean, how stressed out could you be with Jesus sleeping in the ship? I mean, you'd think, man, what better hands to be in than a sleeping Jesus? If Jesus is sleeping, the storm can't be that bad. Come on, Peter, what's the problem? Right? I mean, that's how I'm looking at this. But he gets over into chapter number 5, and in the text that we read tonight, he's met by, the Bible tells us, by an individual man. Now, in other accounts of the Gospels, the Bible tells us that there's two men that come out. But obviously, Mark describes for us, or highlights, if you would, one individual person, that, that he's the one that kind of carries on the conversation, if you would, with Jesus Christ. But our text presents a man, if you would, that has no ambition in life. No, no, no. No ambition. No one wakes up and goes, my desire is to live in the tombs. Is anybody's desire? I, I mean, no one, no one, no mom on Mother's Day... In case you forgot, is Sunday. No mom is telling their kids, uh, Mr. Reen was not telling Cole. Cole, hey, listen, once you graduate high school, here's what you have to look forward to: sleeping in the graves, in the tombs, and in the cemeteries. That's not what Mr. Reen said to Cole. No, no one has the ambition of living amongst dead people in the sense of being in a graveyard. So we can see right off the bat that this individual has no ambition. It's not just the fact that he's sleeping amongst the tombs, but the Bible tells us this and other portions of Scripture that he's naked, he's not clothed, and, and he's, he's scratching himself, he's cutting himself. His life is an absolute mess. It's absolute chaos. And here, listen, watch. We have the disciples in the midst of the storm and chaos, personally. They get to the shore, and the Bible tells us in verse number one, and they came over into the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gatherenes and when he was come out of the ship immediately. I could al- I can almost imagine as 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 the disciples are if you would rowing the boat to the shore, like, dude, how do you explain that? Like, man, we were we were like this close, brother Jake, to just dying. And, and, and Jesus stood up and said, Peace be still and calm the storm. And, and now, man, then now there's dry land. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And all of a sudden you're hearing! Rah! I mean, I can imagine not even having the hands off the oar yet going, what now? What now? This, man, what craziness is going on right now? The Bible says, verse 2 it says, and when he was come out of the ship, immediately. No, 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 no. That word, you know what immediately means? What does it mean? Immediately. 911, <clears throat> what is your emergency? Well, our house is on fire. Okay, when, when would you like us to get there? Immediately. Okay, we'll be there in three hours. That's not immediately. That's not immediately. <clears throat> I'm going to pick on her a little bit, but Tuesday afternoon, Miss Emily's car broke down, and Miss Emily called me, Brother Cole and I were up at Home Depot, and it's it a perfect little show. I don't even have this in my notes, so this is, I know this is of the Lord right here, <clears throat> and, and Brother Cole and I were, were driving up to Home Depot, Brother Joe, and we were like, I got to get, get glue, got to get these scissors for the carpet, and we're going to get back and start laying carpet. I know sooner, pull in the parking lot, Miss Emily's calling, I'm like, hello? She's like, Andrew, my car It's like dead. It won't start. Okay. Uh, Where are you at? And then she tries to describe where she's at and where I'm thinking she's at. And she's not, you know, just miscommunication here and there. Anyway, long story short, she's on the off ramp getting off of 29 going north. Like, not like partially off, like at the top of the off ramp, like at the light. You know where everybody's ready to turn to go down Frederick at like 3.30, 4 o'clock in the afternoon after they've been at work all day? I, man, you talk about mass chaos. So Brother Cole and I were like whipping through, you know, I, I did the speed limit, did the speed limit, I did what I was supposed to do, you know, I might have cut through the median a little bit here and there. Uh, but we get behind, I'm trying to start, it's not starting. Okay, we got to call a wrecker. So we call a wrecker. First tow company I call. Yeah, yeah, we'll get someone right over there. I'm like, okay, so we're directing, tra- I'm standing out there directing traffic, people are honking, yelling, you know, giving me the finger, and you know, you know how people are in St. Joe. They just really are showing how much they love you know, somebody helping them out, like, hey, this is, you got to go this way. <clears throat> Toll company calls you back, and they said this, well, well, well sir, we, we can't get there immediately. So that means I'm going to be waiting a couple hours. I ain't doing this for a couple hours. I got, I got a carpet delay. So, like, we got to call this other company. I call this other company, and guess what? Immediately they sent somebody. Like, not even five minutes later, I'm, I'm, I'm directing traffic, and here comes this guy. I'm like, man, Lord, please let this be the guy. Please let this be the guy. Sure enough, lights it up. Long story short, get her carpet. Her car's working fine. No big deal, we gotta figure out. The, the point is this, when Jesus got out of the boat, immediately this man meets him. Immediately this man meets him. And I find it very interesting that in all, all three Gospels that we read this story, not once does either one of the three writers mention the disciples. Not once does mention what the disciples said, what they did, what they looked like. Like, I mean, there was no like, uh, why are we here? No, 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 no. no. There was no mention with the disciples and Jesus. There's no interaction between Jesus and the disciples for what we know that's recorded in the Gospels, that's recorded in Scripture. So we have no idea. But I can only imagine uh, Peter and, and James and John and Andrew and, and, and Thomas and just watching everything going on, like what have we got ourselves into? Like you talk about mass chaos. Here we are getting through a storm. We're surviving the storm. We get over to the other side and Jesus steps out of the boat and all of a sudden we're hearing, Aah! And some guy's running around, screaming, yelling, no clothes on, cutting himself up, bloody, stinking, hairs all matted, just wild, wild, wild. And you thought your life was crazy. Imagine the disciples of Jesus Christ right now, kind of second-guessing that, yeah, we'll follow you, yeah, we'll be fishers of men. No, no, they're put in in an awkward position, in an awkward predicament, if you would. We often focus in this passage of Scripture, if you would, of what Jesus did. We know this, and... I'm not going to labor real long on it tonight, but we know this, that Jesus intervenes in this man's life, and we just read this passage where the Bible tells us that he's possessed. He has demons within him, and and Jesus saves him. He heals him, casts the demons on out. And then we know the latter part of the text that we read in verse number 18, this man goes to Jesus and says, hey, I want to follow you. I want to follow you. And Jesus says, no, I want you to go home. But I want us tonight to look real quickly at the maniac of Gadara. Not necessarily at what Jesus did, like the miracle. Not to take away from the miracle. But I want us to look at the man for a second. And then we're going to make a quick application. And then we'll go home. One of the first things I see about this man tonight is the problem that he had. Notice verse number two. The Bible says that when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. This passage of Scripture opens up if the description of a man who is firmly held in Satan's grasp. The devil is his master, if you would, and this man is in a utter state of, of hopelessness and absolute helplessness. He's a man, he's human, just like you and I, but he's at a point in his life where he has no hope. He has Listen, he has absolute zero hope. Can I just say this? So we live in a society of millions upon billions of people that live day to day with absolutely no hope. That's why suicide rates are sky high. That's why divorce rates are sky high. That's why unemployment is sky high. That's why people, we have, we have people that, we, listen, we have young people, not teenagers. I'm talking young people like seven, six, seven, eight, nine years old on antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication. Listen, we are living in a society that is living in absolute hopelessness. Can I say this? That's not the way God planned it. That's not God's desire tonight. That's not God's, that's not God's plan. But here's the problem he has. His life is absolute, an absolute mess. And the Bible tells us in verse number two, it describes him as this, as a man with an unclean spirit. Commentator John Phillips said this, he described this passage this way. He said, this demented man was not merely in the grip of an ungoverned passion and rage, nor was he victimized by the delusions of the one who was criminally insane, nor was he an ordinary demonic possessed by an evil spirit. No, 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 no. This was Satan's prized exhibit. A man tormented and driven by a vast number of fearful evil spirits. We don't, we don't, listen, we don't know why. Uh, we don't know if he was dealing with a, a cult or he was living in some horrible sin and it, and it, we don't we have no idea if he's involved in drugs. We have no idea. It does, it doesn't matter. All we know is this as Jesus steps off the boat and steps on the land, he's met by this individual whose life is an absolute mess. He's got a major problem, major problem. But then skip down to verse number nine. Look what the Bible describes it here. It says, and he asked him, what is thy name? And he answered, my name is Legion, for we are many. We find this, that it's not just the fact that this man's possessed by an evil spirit, but if we really were to look at Scripture, and when the the man says, my name is Legion, Legion means, could be anywhere in a Roman army, anywhere between 2,000 and 6,000 men. Now we may laugh and joke about, about somebody and, and their attitude and their demeanor and and maybe that maybe man they just they got some issues whatever the case is but we're talking about a man who who's not just possessed by an evil spirit he's not just possessed by a demon and he's not just possessed and listen that is that is a real thing even in the world today but it's the fact that the bible describes him as a man possessed by what we call a legion of demons I don't know how many. I don't know if it was 2,000. A lot of commentators say that because there's 2,000 swine that they would think that it's 2,000 demons. But what, let's just say it's 2,000 or let's just say it's 6,000. It doesn't matter. The fact of the matter is he's possessed. His life's a mess. He's got a big problem. Listen, a problem that he cannot fix. Can I say this tonight? That we live in a society and a world where men and women, boys and girls, are living day to day with a problem they cannot fix. They're living every single day with a problem they cannot fix. No, no, they can try to fix it. And can I say this, that you and I can try to help them fix it, but at the end of the day, they can't fix it. I can't fix it. The only one that can fix it is Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul would write this to the church at Ephesus. He said, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh, in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. You know what Paul is saying? Paul is saying before our conversion, before we were bought, uh, before we were saved, before we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Here's what Paul's saying: We're no different than the maniac. We're, we're no different than this man we're talking about here in Mark chapter number. Uh, number five, we're no different than this guy who's been tormented, who's, who's been possessed, and, and he's got all these kinds of problems in his life. Jesus would say this in John chapter number eight, verse 44, year of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. This man, this maniac was a man in pitiful shape, pitiful shape horrible shape. He had a problem that, listen, he tried. And we're going to get that here in just a second. He tried to fix. Other people tried to fix, but he still had the problem. <clears throat> second thing I want you to see tonight, verse number three, look what the Bible says. Verse number three, the Bible says, "...who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains." Because that he had been, verse 4, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him. And the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. Firstly, I want you to see his problem. And number two, I want you to see this, the pain that was in his life. There are two words to really describe this man's condition. And here are those words, tombs and chains. No one walks around and goes, hey, man, what a joy to live in the cemetery. No one says that. I mean, let's just be honest. If you're if you're outdoor knocking, brother Nathan, you knock on the door, and, and somebody's getting ready to walk out the door. Hey, where are you headed? Well, I'm headed to the cemetery. Oh, you need... stop by for a funeral, or no, no, I'm 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 moving there actually. I've got have got a cot set up between headstone number 43. And no, no, that's not normal. That's not normal in today's society. And can I say this? It wasn't normal in Jesus's society either. Because in Jesus' time, there wasn't cemeteries, there wasn't graveyards like we know of. No, most of the time, uh, uh, graves were, if you would, carved into the side of the mountains and the rocks. And so here this guy is, the Bible tells us that he's living amongst the tombs. He's living amongst the bodies. And and can I say this? A lot of times in Bible times, they just would wrap him and stuff the body in. Here he is living amongst bodies that are falling out of the the hillside and, and bodies that are decaying, bodies that stink, bodies that have diseases. Bodies, that look, just, just absolutely a disgusting place to be. The Bible then goes on to tell us this in verse number 4, that because they had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by Him, and fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame Him. God tells us this, that not only is He living amongst the dead people and the corpses, but there's been those that have tried to contain Him. There's been those that have tried to bind Him with fetters and with chains, and Fetters would have been attached to his feet and chains would have bound his hands and his arms and his torso. But those man-made devices could not hold him. We're talking about a bad, bad, bad situation. When we look at this man here in Mark chapter number 5, it's hard not to make the leap from this man in Mark chapter number 5 to the condition of men and women, boys and girls that we see on a daily basis. So, what do you mean by that, Brother Andrew? You know, oftentimes we look at Mark chapter 5 and we read about, man, the maniac of Gadara. Wow, what a crazy dude. What a crazy dude. What a, what, a, what a messed up situation. But yet we look at people that we see on a daily basis. Maybe we work with, maybe we're neighbors, maybe we're family. And they may not act like the maniac on the outside, but on the inside, they're hopeless. On the inside, they're getting ready to step from this life to the next, and not to heaven, not to that mansion on a hilltop. No, no, no. To an eternal lake of fire. Eternal separation. Man seeks always to conquer and cure the problems that plague their life. So how can you prove that, Brother Andrew? Well, we build jails and prisons, don't we? We have jails and prisons to confine those that break the law. Yet, lawlessness still is rampant across America, if not across the globe. Man tries to deal with the depression and suicide issues by having nonprofits and by having uh, pills and potions and psychologists and, and, and people that we can uh, try to fix our problems. But the problem with man's efforts to cure his own depravity is that man's efforts only treat the symptoms, they never treat the problem. This man had a physical problem but not more deeper than the physical problem, he had a spiritual problem in his life. Others had tried, others had labored, others had had done everything they could to fix this man, yet they were unable. You see, lost people are always going to choose sin over the Savior because they are evil and totally given over to the pursuit of evil. John chapter 3, we know that passage very well, the interaction between Jesus Christ and Nicodemus. And we know John chapter 3, verse number 16, probably the most famous Bible verse ever, but in John chapter 3, verse 19, Jesus would say this. He said this. He says, Then this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. How true is that? How true? And if you were, if you were able to be here for the ladies' retreat, or, 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 or you saw it online or saw pictures, you could see the contrast between the darkness and the light. The darkness and the light. Listen, I'll be honest with you, I didn't get in trouble during the day as a teenager. You know when I got in trouble? was at night, during the darkness, right? There was a standing rule in our house that when the street lights came on, you better be home. And I can can remember being at Nellis Air Force Base, I think I was like in fourth or fifth grade, and I was just down the street playing football with my friends, not a big deal, I mean right down the road, and, and I just lost track of time, the lights came on, I just totally ignored them completely. And man, I got whooped when I got home, right? I got whooped. Those of you who know what that means, that means I got spanked, big time, all right? Point is this, men love darkness rather than light. Can I be honest with you tonight that men and women and boys and girls who are in a lost state love darkness rather than light? But can I say it like this too, that even those that are safe tonight, even those that are here, If we're not careful, we fall into rebellion and sin. And even in our saved position and knowing that we can't lose our salvation, there's times we live our life in darkness. There's times we can walk away from God and we don't want that light. You say, well, Brother Andrew, no, 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 no. I'm not talking about the lights physically, I'm talking about this light. There's times in our life where we come into church service, listen, we come into church service and we wear the suit, we wear the dress, we put the makeup on, if you're a lady, uh, we fix the hair for a guy. And man, we, we don't want that light that's being preached. We don't want that light that's being shown, whether it's Pastor Marshall, whether you're in a Sunday school class, uh, whether you're T night, whatever the case is. We don't want that light. But the truth is, the truth is, it doesn't matter tonight. It's not just the lost people that are outside the walls. It's not just the people that are bound for hell. It could even be tonight those that would say, hey, I, I'm born again, I'm saved. It could be, even be said of us that are saved tonight, man, we like the darkness rather than the light. Because our deeds are evil. Well, Brother Andrew, I'm saved. I'm born again. I, I'm a child of God. Yes, but you still have that sin nature in you. And let's be honest tonight. We're all, most of us are adults here. We know it's easy, easy to give into the flesh. But man to live for God, to live for the spiritual things, to live for the light, takes some discipline. It's a lot harder. <clears throat> we need to look at our spiritual condition when we find reasons for avoiding the light. I'll give you some examples here. When we can't sit through a preaching service, but yet we can sit down and watch a three-hour movie and not move, we might have a little bit of a spiritual problem. When we find reasons to avoid the house of God, and we find reasons to avoid the people of God, and we find reasons to avoid the fellowship of God, but yet we find no reasons to avoid the sports programs or, or the things that we want to do, uh, it's on our calendar. Well, we may have a spiritual problem. When we find ourselves longing for the ways of the world rather than the ways of God, we find ourselves having a spiritual problem. This man, obviously, he had a spiritual problem. I want you to know this verse number five here tonight. He says this, And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying and cutting himself with, cutting himself with stones. Could you imagine the terror that this man caused? Could you imagine being in the village and, 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 and I, I don't know, maybe within a mile or two in the middle of the night and just hearing, wah! Could you imagine that? Could you imagine uh, being out and trying to have a nice romantic meal with your wife and all of a sudden you hear, wah! The craziness that's going on in this guy's life. He's got powerless. he's po- totally powerless over his situation. Then the Bible tells us this: that this man not only is he screaming and crying in the mountains, but the Bible describes him as cutting himself with stones. I remember years ago, years ago, I had a teenage girl who had gone through just going through some struggles and going some through some things at home that we didn't know about. And I remember her uh, talking to Crystal and years, years ago in Colorado and. And I remember, I remember the moment she pulled her sleeves on up, Brother Joey. And I remember seeing this 13-year-old girl and the cuts on her wrist. I can only imagine as Jesus is stepping out of the boat and this man's coming on down, just the way this guy looked, and maybe not just his wrist, but his whole body, Brother Nathan, just all over him, just cut with these rocks. All over his body, blood, maybe blisters and sores, maybe an infection, Maybe all kinds of just mucus and just what a vile, 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 vile individual that steps out in front of Jesus. He's completely powerless over his situation. This man in his desperate state, in his wretched condition, horrible, absolutely horrible. There are those that live a life of nothing but problems and of pain and of powerlessness. There are those whose life is an absolute mess with no hope in sight. So what does this really have to do with me, Brother Andrew? I mean, after all, I'm clothed and in my right mind, I'm sitting here on a Wednesday night midweek service. Brother Schuyler, do you have a minute you can give me a hand? I want to illustrate this tonight. Come on up here. Brother Schuyler tonight is going to illustrate for us, he's going to step in as the maniac of Gadara. I know, he looks pretty crazy. <clears throat> Brother Schuyler's the maniac of Gadara. If you follow me, we're about where, I mean, we're, we're like right at done here. He's the maniac of Gadara. We are going to represent Jesus' disciples, and we're going to represent those of Gadarene. Maybe we're his family, maybe we're his friends, maybe we're his co-workers, whatever the case is. And here we are. We picture this maniac of Gadara. We picture him in his, in his horrible state that he's, he's not clothed. He stinks. He's crying. He's screaming. He's cutting himself. He's possessed. We've tried, we've tried to bind him. We've tried to, tried to help him. We've done everything that we could in and of our power to help him to no avail. Absolute no avail. And I can't help tonight, but Draw a parallel, if you would, to the maniac of Gadara and to those who walk in the doors of Riverside Baptist Church. A couple weeks ago, Pastor and I, we drove down to Kansas City and, and as we were driving down, we were talking about the fact that as we stand up here and we look out, we see faces coming in the doors. Faces of people that are hurt, Faces of people whose lives are an absolute mess. Faces of people who have no hope, no peace whatsoever. And as we're having this conversation, God laid this passage on my heart. Because I realize that there are times when people walk in the doors, and that's what I see. All I see is a maniac. All I see is somebody whose life's a mess. Listen, whose life's an absolute mess, it's trashed, they're not going anywhere, they have no hope, they have no peace. Hey, I'm saved, Brother Joey, I'm good. I got a great relationship with my wife, I got a great relationship with my kids, man, I'm good to go. And I look at people as they come in hurt and broken, and that's what I see. I see them as the maniac. I see them as the crazy. I see them as the messed up one. I see them as, man, they need some help, Brother Philip. Man, they're really struggling over there. And here's what God sees God doesn't see a maniac, God sees an individual. God doesn't see someone broken and hopeless, God sees an individual. God doesn't see, listen, God doesn't see somebody whose life is an absolute failure, God sees an individual. God sees them for who they really are. Brother Jake, as people walk on in, we might be thinking, oh man, their life, they're, they are an absolute, they are a mess. You know what God sees? <laughs> man, they could be one of mine. I want to work in their heart. I want to work in their life. I want to do for them like I did for that maniac back in Gadara all them years ago. All of them years ago. So let me ask you, Riverside Baptist Church tonight on a Wednesday night, what do you see? When people walk in the doors, we have visitors, we have guests, what do you see? Do you see a maniac? Or do you see an individual? Do you see somebody who's just absolutely an absolute mess, like their life's going nowhere, and just, man, I'm glad I'm not like them, I'm, I'm glad I'm not like that person. Or do you see an individual with no hope, no help, all kinds of problems, all kinds of pain, they're totally powerless over their life. And yet, when you look at them, you can tell, yep, God can do something in their life. Jesus wants to do something in their life, and hey, I want to be the avenue. You know what's really interesting? I, I, I put. The, I'm gonna make sure I read this the right way, because <clears throat> I don't want to misread this. <clears throat> Jesus took His disciples to the maniac, right? Jesus took His disciples from one side of the Sea of Galilee to the next, to the maniac. Ready for this? Ready? Ready? Jesus brings the maniac to us. They walk in the doors. And we have the privilege and the opportunity to look at them as an individual and to take the Word of God, to take the light, and to say, hey... You could use some hope. You could use some peace. You could use some love. I can't give it to you. Pastor Marshall can't give it to you. Brother Stevens, you can't give it. But man, I know the God who can. I know the God who can. Thanks, Kyler. Tonight, what do you see? You see just the maniac? Or do you see the individual? Father, we thank you for the privilege tonight to be in your house. Lord, I thank you for Mark chapter number 5. Lord, I'm thankful tonight that as a church, Riverside Baptist Church here in St. Joseph, Missouri, that you are sending people our way who are broken, who are hurting, who are discouraged, who are frustrated, Lord, who have no hope, they have no peace, they have, Lord, they're just, their life's a mess. And Lord, we're no different. Lord, without you, we are absolutely nothing tonight, and God, I pray that as we move forward and Get into opening the buses back up and as the summer months come and, Lord, visitors are here. God, I I pray, Lord, I beg that we would, as a church collectively, God, that we would see the bigger picture here of what you're trying to do in people's lives. Lord, help us. Lord, help me. Lord, help me to look at people as an individual just like you did. Lord, help me to have that compassion like Jesus had. and Lord, that desire to see people brought from darkness to light. Lord, what a, man, what a thought to think tonight, God, of where I would be had it not been for Jesus Christ in my life. Lord, help us to be what we need to be for the cause of Christ. As the piano plays, let's go ahead and stand to our feet, every head bowed, every eye closed. Altars are open tonight. What do you see tonight? What do you see? When people walk through the doors of Riverside Baptist Church, what do you see? Jesus took His disciples to a man whose life was an absolute mess with no hope, performed a miracle that only He could do. Can I say this? That as Jesus Christ brings people into this building, He wants to do the exact same thing. Not for my glory, not for your glory, but for His glory. brother Cole's